We want to welcome you to the Bible teaching ministry of Fellowship Bible Church, where our desire is to honor God by faithful obedience to His Word. If you want to understand the Bible better, please continue to listen as Pastor Matt Postiff explains and applies the biblical text one verse at a time. You can reach us with questions or for more teaching audio and print material at our website, fbcaa.org. You can also watch our services live at fbcaa.org slash live. We want to thank you for listening and pray that you will be edified. Join us now as Pastor Postiff opens God's Word. Good morning. We are turning again to the book of Jude. And after today, it will be a, a little bit before I would maybe come back and I don't know if, when, if I get another chance to say something more about Jude. There's a whole lot more things that I would like to say than what I will be able to say today. So that means <laughs> that I'm not going to say everything, <clears throat> but I will use the time that we have. I have said, and I repeat as I have done, that when we come to the Word of God, we try to think of the idea that we should calm ourselves and that we should be attentive to what we have before us. Because, see, we're here and we're saying that God has revealed to us information so that there are things that we can know John said, these things I write unto you, that you may know that you have eternal life. That's a wonderful thing, to have eternal life and to know it. But there are obviously people who, who don't have it, maybe don't know their need for it. And there may be people who think perhaps they do have it and who don't. That's a scary thought. But as for Jude, Jude, as we say here, we begin and say again, he identified himself as a bond servant. And I think in the last meeting, I introduced the way of saying it a love bond servant to try to get away from the negative connotation of a bond servant. It wasn't that he was bound in a situation that he didn't want to be in or that was not the best for him. He had a bond servant relationship, but it was in a love bond <laughs> with the Lord Jesus. And that's what salvation is about. But then the, his audience, and he used these special words to identify them as being in a special place as well in relation to God. Because he says, called and sanctified and preserved. And so those who are in that position, called, sanctified, and preserved, have no worry or stress about what the ultimate end is going to be, where they're going to be after departure from here. 
So let me read a couple more things here. So he says to them, mercy, peace, and love in verse 3. And then in verse number, I mean, that was verse 2. Excuse me. In verse number 3, he uses the word beloved. He said, while I was diligent, and so it talks about what he wanted to do at first and to write about the common salvation, and then he, being led by the Spirit, was uh, compelled to exhort them and to say again to them that they needed to contend for the faith. It was a message saying there is something for you to do. You need to contend. But not just contend, but contend earnestly. Put some work into it. And then he says, I want to remind you of some things. And in order for him to remind him of the things, it's implied that they knew the things. Otherwise, it's not a reminder. They knew the things. But he said, let me bring this back to the front of your attention now for a purpose. And it talks about three categories of that came into judgment groups. Uh, there were a group of people who came out of Egypt, and some of those people were not believers. And they ended up not being permitted to go into the promised land. They had to die in the wilderness. There were angels who were not satisfied with the place that God created for them to be in. They weren't satisfied with God's provision for them. And so what did they do? They left that domain. That was their choice. People in Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding cities. <clears throat> they decided that they did not like God's morality. And so they decided they're going to do what they wanted to do. Abuse themselves one with another and all these kind of horrifying things they did. All three of these groups, God says, Judgment shall fall upon you. The reason for the judgment is because they chose a path in opposition to what God had set forth. Not that they didn't know or have a choice. They had a choice. Otherwise, judgment wouldn't be appropriate. No one is condemned and judged for doing something they had no opportunity to have any impact upon or in a choice in or in the matter. Of course, when justice is properly administered, that is the case. So then after that, he moves on. And it talks about certain people that Jews audience would have been aware of and they would have known about. And uh, he talks about a man named Cain. In the earliest days, there weren't many people. But there there were Cain and Abel. And God required them to do something 
to show proper worship. And so Abel brought an offering, and Cain brought one. We're not told that the things that were brought had defects by either one of those guys. We're not not told that the thing that was brought was a defective thing. But the difference was one was accepted of God and the other was not. And what that means is that God had already made it clear to these men what an acceptable offering would be. But Cain chose a different offering. And he was given another opportunity. You know, if you do right, you know, the door's open to you. But he made his choice. These are things that Jews' audience knew. They knew what happened with Cain. And they should, as we, say, well, I don't want to be a Cain in this sense, in that sense. To say I have my own plan and my own program and it's superior to what God has for me, so therefore I will use my own. People don't think about what they do that way. They don't recognize it. That's what they're doing. To say my plan is superior to the God's plan. But if we look at God's word and what he says, and we compare it to what we choose, then we can see where the problem is. So that was Cain. And he also had to meet with his end. In this section, early section here, there was also a man named Enoch that is brought in. And a man, uh, not, I'm saying Enoch. Now, Enoch was, uh, there, was a, there was a prophecy of Enoch, but I didn't say much about that. That was, uh, that was a non-biblical text that was quoted from. <clears throat> and so the section that is inserted here is, is, is sufficient for us to understand that that's from God and what he wanted, but not it, it doesn't uh, authenticate the full document from which that particular text was, has come. And so I just want to put that point in there. But uh, Balaam is the next one individual listed here. So Balaam was a man who had certain interests what were his interests he said he had a concern about profit and so he went about his business to gain to profit on the gifts that God had given to him for proper worship of God and service of God he said I'm going to use these gifts for my own personal profit and it caused enormous damage by doing that. He taught people to get, engage in immorality, to derail them, <clears throat> because they couldn't succeed in pronouncing the curse that God wouldn't allow them, him to do that. But Balak said, oh, but I'll just, you know, I'll, I'll just keep paying that more and more. I keep, keep making offers to you. Get this job done for me. So that was, he made his choice. And then Korah. And Korah was a man who, he just decided that Moses had taken too much upon himself. 
and that he was going to call him out and put him in his place. And God called Korah out and put him and all those who were a part of his group into the belly of the earth. So Korah, with his big booming words, standing against God's appointed servant. But God says, Korah, you have done the wrong thing. And so it's damnation for you now. So these ones who Jude is warning about, I focus on the certain men because that's where it starts talking about that. But there are a lot of statements in here talking about these people, which gives very vivid and uh, explicit terms relating to them. And the kinds of things that would grab your attention and stick in your mind to say, Jude is talking about people who are in among the assembly, who look like everybody else, people going through the rituals with everybody else. But they are not like everybody else. They're not in the group that are the called and the sanctified and the preserved. They're not in that group. They're not in the group that are love, bond, servants to Christ. They're not among them. They're not in that group. But they're in among the assembly of people who are there. And so he's saying they have come in. They came in unaware. Some, some, you weren't aware. It's like, what? You must have been far overdue and get your eyes checked and your glasses changed, which I have to periodically do <laughs> so that I can keep reading <laughs> to get my eye uh, prescriptions adjusted from time to time. So that's what they needed to be able to see what was going on. And so it was a horrible thing. And I'm just going to pick up some of the things in here. And I'm going, I'm going like this. I'm kind of scattering over <clears throat> because we spent a lot of time here, and I, and I want to get to some of the other verses towards the end uh, before we get done here. But then uh, in verse number 12, look at this. It says, there are spots in your love feast. I talked about the idea of some people thinking that the idea of a reef or a coral reef or something might be what this word really actually is pointing to. And to get the illustration of a ship, it might be hit a reef they can't see and rip a hole in the ship, and then down it goes because if, if uh, it had let in, a, it has caused a problem that can't be uh, ignored. Then talking about clouds without water. So clouds, you know, you see the clouds, and especially if you're having a drought and you see clouds coming, and man, you, you, your hopes are up because you said the clouds, they're going to bring water. But these ones, they are clouds without water or like trees that are, that are dead, they're not going to produce any fruit. And so they really have no use for the use that you would want to make of them. That's, they were that way. And then in verse 14 where it says, Enoch, uh, the seventh from Adam prophesied about these things, saying, Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousands of the saints, so he's speaking about the future time, when there's going to be great judgment. God is going to bring judgment. Judgment is coming. Judgment is coming. As I'm standing here, I keep thinking about some of the interactions at the art fair 
booth uh, that we had. And I'm, I'm going to give you a little bit of one of them. But it says here in verse 15, to execute judgment on all, to convict all who are ungodly among them, and of all the ungodly deeds which they have committed in an ungodly way, and of all the harsh things which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. Now, it doesn't matter that they maybe spoke those things against me. In fact, I thought to one fellow, I said, you know, it really doesn't matter what I believe or don't in terms of your relation to God. What I believe or don't believe is, is, is not the point. So it really doesn't gain anything to, to diminish me. Who am I? <laughs> right? But I did say to a man, I said, well, more than one. I don't know. I said it to several people probably. But anyway, I said, God says it is appointed unto each one of us to die. And then after death comes judgment. Judgment. So here's what I said to one guy. He, he, he confessed himself to be a man of evidence and science, and these are the things that moved him and persuaded him. So I asked him, I said, well, what evidence do you have that you're going to die? You know what he did. He provided some evidence, reasonable evidence, for him to believe that he's going to die. And then I said, now, what evidence do you have about what's going to happen after you're dead? And then he went silent on that one. But what I was trying to get him to do is to think, you have accepted a future event on the basis of evidence that has been presented. We have a ton of evidence of that sort because God has given his revelation. God said the death is going to come, and he said the judgment is going to follow, and the two are connected, and you can't separate them. And so what we're saying is, and as much as the first part is true, the second is true. And if the second is, then you need to consider and find out. Now, in verse 17 and back in Jude, but you, beloved, remember the words which were spoken before by the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. How they told you that there would be in the last days mockers who will walk according to their own ungodly lust. These are sensual persons who cause divisions, not having the spirit. And so he's saying these things, you, you, we're not shocked that these things are coming. You know about that. So these are all these statements, the bad these ungodly. In one verse it says ungodly, 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 ungodly. Four times the word ungodly. So this is a pretty grim message in a sense. And these are believers, genuine people. And their assembly has been infected. 
And so what are they to do in a circumstance like that? And here's one of the wonderful things about Jude, this book. It doesn't leave them there, but it goes on. And so when we get to verse 20, and I'm going to think about verses 20 and 21 together. And notice what it says there. But you, beloved, building yourselves up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. Now, first I want to draw your attention to a couple of words here, a word here, actually. In the first part of that, where it says, the word yourselves, building yourselves up on the most holy faith. And in verse 21, keeping yourselves in the love of God. I'm emphasizing that it says yourselves. He says you have something to do. I have something to do. We have something to do. We're not in a situation like Sometimes people will use a word, and they might say, well, let go and let God. Well, that's not what he's saying here. There may be certain contexts in which an expression like that might be okay. If what they mean by that is cast your burdens upon the Lord and leave them there, because there are certain burdens we need to cast, just cast upon the Lord and leave them, because there's nothing at all in the world we can do. But that's not... He, he's saying there's something for you to do. <clears throat> Build yourselves up in the most holy faith. Now, now, obviously, it is the Holy Spirit of God who is working in us to build us. But my point here is to say that we have something to do. And, he, and Judas telling them they had something to do that they were to do. And so building yourselves up in the most holy faith, building uh, as a, an expression is used in, in Scripture in, in a number of places. I'm going to give a, a verse here, a couple of verses, <clears throat> to kind of frame our thinking a little bit about this idea. If we consider 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse number 15, and it says, and this is not, I think this is the NET I printed this one from, but it says, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. So the word of truth and then the right handling of it and then to, or as King James would say, the New King James, study to show yourself approved unto God, a workman who needeth not to be ashamed. Rightly dividing the word of truth. That's something to do. 
Be diligent is a word some would use in their translation where I said study. Uh, be diligent to, to do it, something to do. My brother Ben was talking about some of his things that he did with the scriptures and, and all that. He's doing something. <laughs> he recognizes that before he gets before the kids, he has to be prepared. And he, something for him to do. He's not dependent upon himself to do the work in the hearts of the kids to bring them along. He's concerned about what it is he's supposed to do. That's what Jude was saying. Praying in the Holy Spirit. Or I say, this, we, this has nothing to do with speaking in tongues. <clears throat> Let me give a couple of verses with reference to this. I had another one for the other part, but I'm going to move ahead because the time is slipping fast. fast. In James chapter 5 and verse 16b, it says, The effectual and fervent prayer of the righteous avails much. Effectual and fervent prayer. It doesn't say the effectual and fervent prayer avails much. There's a contingency there of the righteous. And in Ephesians chapter 17, I mean chapter 5, verses 17 and 18, Therefore, do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. <clears throat> and do not be drunk with wine, in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. Or in Romans, now, think about Romans 8, 26. Because in our prayer, we are engaged, we are doing something. We recognize our inadequacies, that we are inadequate. Romans 8, 26 says this, Likewise, the Spirit also helps in our weaknesses. For we do not know what we should pray as we ought, but the Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. And so even in our feelings of uh, that we are needy and we can't, can't quite rise to where we need to be, we can pray. We can strive to be the righteous ones. And we can know that the Spirit is interceding and being a help. And then it says, back to Jude, keep yourselves in the love of God. Keep yourselves. Again, implying something to do for them to pay attention to. And I just thought, well, I'm going to, uh, I was thinking about the way John talked about the vine and being connected in the vine. So I thought it would be worthwhile to, to go there and to, to read that. I'm just reading from my papers quicker that way. You can check it out and make sure I didn't miss put it down here. But he says, this is the Lord now speaking, the Lord Jesus. He says, I am the vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because the word of God, of the word of God which I have spoken to you, abide in me and I in you, as a branch cannot bear fruit of itself. 
The branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. And then he said, I am the vine. You are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered. And they gather them and throw them into the fire and they are burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you will or what you desire, and it shall be done to you. By this, my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit. So you will be my disciples. Ask what you desire, see. He's saying if you're in the right relation to God, you ask. Because out of that comes the right kind of petition and request. So we don't have to worry about that. Now, in Hebrews chapter 12, 1 and 2, I couldn't, avoid, couldn't help but think about that one. And here's what it says. Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us let out every weight and the sin which just so easily beset us. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. For the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Now, in Jude, <clears throat> in uh, verse number 21, he says, Keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of the Lord Jesus unto eternal life. So that's the ultimate part of the eternal life. We who are believers in Christ have eternal life, but we have not reached the ultimate stage of that. So the thought that I'm seeing here is, and the reason I read from Hebrews 12, is the notion that there was a forward look, and that's what Jude says here, but there's also an upward look. A forward look and an upward look. Forward look is the end of our salvation, but the upward look is upward looking up to, unto him who is the author and the finisher of our faith. Looking up, looking to him, the Lord Jesus. And that's what Jude says to do. So then, keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus unto eternal life. And then it gives some application here. He says, on some, some have compassion with a distinction. But so the idea is that there are people, I think we can glean from here. You know, you think about people who are deceived, who've been taken about a false idea. And the idea of, of, of trying to reach and, and, and bring them in to, to, to dispel the, you know, the thing that has clouded over the mind and a sensitivity to that, to try to win the people over. Have compassion. Compassion is a strong word. But then he said that there are others who also are needy, and he talks about pulling them out of the fire. 
So this is a more drastic kind of a situation. It seems like they are farther removed from the things and they're more entrenched, entrenched in what it is they do. So much so that if you're not careful about how you try to rescue them, you may become tainted. Like the leper's garments, they say, you know, it's contaminated and you don't want to touch that garment. And so it says, hated even the garment defiled by the flesh. So you're not hating the people, but some of the things they do and the ways they do it, and uh, uh, I'm not sure what the word is. I was thinking about the paraphernalia and the context and so many things associated with what they do that you don't want to become in, in, uh, tainted by it. <laughs> but you still are concerned for the souls, and so you do what you can do. But wisdom is required. And now we come to the doxology that is here. And I'm basically just going to read it and not to say a whole lot about it, but it's a wonderful thing. And we should rejoice. It says, now unto him who is able to keep you from stumbling, from falling, and present to you faultless before the presence of his glory with a seed of joy. That's a wonderful thing. Think about that as opposed to somebody who will be at the great white throne judgment. Think about this. Before to be presented faultless. Then it says, to God our Savior. I told the man, I said, you know, there's why not listen to what God has to say about it? And he said, which God? And I said, there is only one true God. Listen to him. <laughs> what he has to say, you know? To God be our Savior, who alone is wise. Be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forever. Amen. So there we have it. We've come to the end of the book of Jude. But I just might come back at some other opportunity and say more. It's a wonderful book. It has a lot for us. And it's worthwhile for us to spend time. I was reading one author, and one of the things he said is that sometimes what we do is spend all of our time in a select few of the books of the Bible. He named four. And he said, but God gave, all, gave us six to six. Why are you spending all your time in four? Don't you think he wants you to visit the other 64? Let's have a prayer. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for the privilege you've given to us to look into the book of Jude and consider what thus says the Lord. So we're asking you by this exercise to help us by your spirit uh, to make some progress along this path of sanctification before a holy God. We ask in the name of him who is our Savior, the Lord Jesus, with thanks. Amen. Thank you. We appreciate your kind attention.